0: Thank you for downloading this sermon from Grace Presbyterian Church. Grace is a church where people seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way and sharing their gifts with the world. You can follow us online at graceforsufalls.org. Chapter 13 concludes with these words. Hear the word of the Lord. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Father, we ask that you would speak to us now in these words, that you would show us how to love the light and how to walk in it. In Christ's name, amen. Before we think about Paul's words, I want to put two things in your mind to kind of meditate on and hold on to as we look at what Paul has to say a parable, and a plague hymn. The first, the parable, which is in Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells a parable, a story about 10 virgins, 10 young women who are waiting for the coming of a bridegroom at night. Five of them come prepared. They bring their lamps, and they also bring oil to keep their lamps burning. But Five come unprepared. They have their lamps, but they bring no oil with them. And because they don't have oil, they have to go seek the oil. And as they do that, they miss the coming of the bridegroom, which was the whole point for their being there. When Jesus tells this story, he ends it in Matthew 25, verse 13, with the moral of the story, the lesson that you're supposed to take away. He says, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Keep watch, keep a lookout, Jesus says. Or, thinking of of the weakness of his disciples, uh, stay awake. Keep watch, stay awake so that you will be ready when the time comes, when the bridegroom appears. That's the parable, now the plague hymn. In 1598, that story that Jesus told inspired a hymn writer to write a hymn. His name was Philip Nikolai, and the hymn that he wrote in German is called Wacket Auf, ruft uns die Stimme. Forgive my German. Uh, Better known in English translation from the 1800s, Wake, awake, for night is flying. But the hymn is actually more famous for being the basis of Bach's cantata, Wacket Auf, one of his most accomplished At least I hope that's the case, since there are people here who can correct me if I'm wrong. These words are similar to the words of Christ. Wake up, wake up, keep watch, be prepared, be awake. When Nikolai wrote the words in 1598, he actually wrote them in a time of plague. when plague was decimating the city. He didn't know, as he wrote, whether he would die or not. And so in his journal, as he wrote, he recorded his motivation for writing. He said he wanted to leave behind me if God should call me from this world as a token of my peaceful, joyful Christian departure, this hymn. Or if God should spare me in health to comfort other sufferers, he should also visit with the pestilence. So he wrote those words either as a testament to the joy that he had in Christ should he die, Or as a comfort to others, should he be spared? Those words, keep watch, stay awake. These are the words, this is the spirit of Paul's admonition to us at the end of Romans 13. He's conveying the same message as Jesus, and it is just as relevant in our plague season as it was in Nicolai's. Wake up, Paul is saying. Wake up and get dressed, and don't go back to sleep. It's daytime, so live in the light. That is the message with which he concludes this chapter. Wake up, get dressed, and walk into the light. Don't go back to sleep. Don't live as if it's still nighttime. It is time to wake up. In our text, Paul is using these metaphors of day and night, of light and darkness, to convey spiritual ideas. The idea of of awakening is a metaphor, it's a symbol. Sometimes in the Bible, when we talk about awakening, it's symbolizing what we would think of as justification or or like the moment of salvation. To wake up, uh, this is the way that Paul uses it in Ephesians 5.14, where he takes some words of Isaiah, some words from the Psalms, and he, he gives them to us. In this form, he says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And that idea of of night and day is like the idea of being dead in sin and then being alive in Christ. Sometimes, the metaphor of awakening is speaking more to sanctification as it does in our context and also does in 1 Thessalonians 5.6. Paul says, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake. And be sober. That's the sense in which he's using it here. Stay awake. Be sober. Don't go to sleep as others do. He also uses night and day, dark and light as metaphors. Night and darkness symbolize our past sinful lives. The way that we used to live before Christ. And we're not alive in Christ. We lived in the nighttime in the darkness and did the deeds that are done in the darkness. Day and light symbolize our new life in Christ. And with that new life comes a new way of living, just as we do different things, we behave differently in the light of day. When you wake up, you see things rightly. The shadows, the fears of nighttime go away. Those nightmare visions that you have are gone. In the daytime, you see the world as it really is. And more than that, you live according to that sight. You live according to what you see in the light. We've been saying over and over again in our study of Romans that the way to live in Christ is to love. The way to live in Christ is to love one another, to love your neighbor, to love your enemy, and so on. And that kind of love obviously involves more than just seeing things rightly. It involves acting on that vision love is not just a feeling it's not just a state of mind it's not just a decision it's also action it's it's something that we do to one another a way that we treat one another a good way to summarize our call in the words of our passage this morning might be that we've been called to love the light that the deeds of the light are what we've been called to do we've been called to love the daytime to love the light that Christ has shined into our lives. A lot of people talk about the importance of waking up to reality, like not not sleeping, but but opening your eyes and and seeing the world as it really is. In philosophy, the philosopher Immanuel Kant used this metaphor to describe his own sort of way of being. As, As a young man, he was content to just follow the philosophy of his time, to just be another enlightenment thinker, And then he read David Hume, and suddenly he was awakened to reality. Not a comfortable, but an uncomfortable reality, and he had to go on and do philosophy differently. Kant had to become a Kantian at that point in order to deal with what he saw. And when he looked back on his former life before that awakening, he called that time his dogmatic slumbers, when he was not awakened to the reality of the world, but was simply sleeping by accepting the the orthodoxy that had been handed down to him. This is a little bit less exalted, but in The Matrix, when Neo has to make his choice between the red pill and the blue pill, he can take the blue pill and go back into his, his imaginary world, or he can take the red pill and see reality for what it is. But if he does that, he can never go back to his blissful ignorance. Forever after, he will have to deal with the world as it really is. Out of the darkness of ignorance, he must come into the light of reality. Talking about songs earlier, in 2008, the singer Erica Badu sang in the refrain of a song these words, I stay woke, which at the time had no political significance, but of course quickly became a kind of anthem for social justice politics and you hear that word bandied around all the time but if you stop and think about what is meant by that it's actually the same thing to be awakened to the reality of how the world really works and to be determined not to go back to sleep not to go back to complacency not to go back to being blind to what you've now become aware of Once you see the world for what it really is, then you must change the way that you live. All these kinds of awakenings and many more, these are just types and shadows of the real, deeper awakening that Paul is speaking of here. There is a spiritual awakening, an opening of the eyes that occurs only in Christ, a light that only shines In Christ. And when that light has shined, it's time to wake up, Paul says. You've got to get up and get dressed and don't go back to sleep. Don't go back to sleep. That's the concern that drives him. It's time to wake up, he says. The time is now, and you know it. Don't lapse back into sleep. Sleep, too, is a metaphor. It's not that the Apostle Paul resents you getting your eight hours of sleep in order to be a well-adjusted person. But when he talks about sleep, he's talking about a larger idea. To sleep is to live as if it's still night, to live as if it's still dark. If The light of Christ has shined on you. You can't keep living in the dark. You can't behave the way you used to before it was daytime. You can't keep living as if the point of life is, in Paul's words, to gratify the desires of the flesh. That phrase in verse fourteen at the end of our passage, if you you look at the Greek, there are some words that should be familiar to us. To gratify the desires of the flesh, we read in translation, desires there is epithemia, which should ring a bell. At least it would ring a bell if you had a crystal clear memory of the sermons that I was preaching a year ago in September of 2019. Because in September of 2019, when we were looking at Romans chapter 6, we talked about the idea of desire in Romans, and the epithumia is corrupted desire. It's sinful desire. That there is a, a desire that seems natural to us, but because of our sinful nature, it is corrupted and inevitably leads us Astray, the flesh, the sarks, in Paul's words, is corrupted in this way, so that, that what the, the body wants, and by body means like the whole person, what the flesh wants is corrupted by sin, so that if we live simply to satisfy the desires of the flesh, we will live in the darkness. There's another word we talked about last September. This is the passage where Uh, Paul says to present yourself to God. He says don't present your your instruments to unrighteousness but to righteousness. And the word that's translated in Romans 6 is instruments is hopla, which is the word that, for example, uh, Greek soldiers are called hoplites because they go around in armor. It's a word for armor or the weapons that you fight war with. So presenting your instruments to God is presenting your weapons, like coming to report for duty, coming equipped in order to do battle. Here there's a connection. Paul is once again calling us to action in this way. When he says, put on the armor of light, the hopla of light, he's making the same point that he made back in Romans 6. And it's actually worth, if you want to reflect more on these things, having heard this morning's sermon, to go back to September of 2019, and listen to that sermon on Romans 6, 12 through 14, to see the kind of one-two punch that Paul is giving us. Christ has set you free, so live righteously in the light, not unrighteously in the dark. The difference between the two passages, though, is here in chapter 13, he gives us a fuller sense of what living in the dark looks like, what going back to sleep looks like. And he gives us a a catalog of sin. He mentions these six things which are kind of emblematic of all sin, like sins of lust and sins of pride. The flesh by its nature is corrupt, and indulging the flesh means living in continued bondage to sin. It's interesting reading commentaries on Romans 13. I saw how uh, times have changed. Reading One Theologian, really good commentary by W.G.T. Shedd. But it was written in the late 1800s, and so when he comes across these words, he notes that, that uh, it's true that in the modern church, the sins of lust are really not relevant or prevalent. Like in the modern church, people just aren't doing these sexual immorality things, these, these warnings that, that Paul gave sensuality. Not really a thing for us, but he says we should still be on guard against jealousy and quarreling, these sins of pride. And he also notes that we shouldn't judge the ancient church too harshly because they needed warnings about sexual immorality and sensuality because we don't deal with the kind of culture that they did. Because we don't understand the kind of pressure they were under and the the way they had been formed by their culture so that they were much more susceptible to these things. He actually quotes the Scottish poet Robert Burns who says, we know not what's resisted can't judge people for where they're at if you don't know where they've come from and what they've had to fight against. Well, of course, in the 21st century, I read those words, and I had to chuckle to myself, although not, not out of amusement, that uh, somehow scripture has become more relevant to the church now than, than it seemed to him to be a century or so ago. And every warning that Paul gives is one that we need to hear that lands firmly in front of us because lust and pride are things that we are surrounded by and have been formed for not only by our nature, but by our culture. We are caught up in these things. Now, you may do an inventory of your life and and you may think of extreme examples of sins that would fall under these categories and say, well, I'm not dealing with that, fortunately, but I want to suggest to you that when it comes to the sins of lust in the way that we all have been shaped as uh, consumers, let's say, as people whose identity is wrapped up so much in the choices that we make to gratify the desires of our hearts, that all of us struggle with living in the darkness. All of us are tempted To go back to sleep, to start living life as if all life was about is satisfying those desires. Our divisiveness finds its roots in the sin of pride. Our consumerism lets us justify our sinful self love, our divisiveness lets us justify our sinful neglect to love others, and Paul calls us out and says, this is what sleeping looks like, and it's daytime. It is time to wake up and get dressed. The sleep is, is tempting because most people around us are asleep, and it's hard not to sleep as others do. It feels like we're missing out on something important in life if we're not living to gratify the desires of the flesh. And, of course, the pull of the flesh is strong in us. Despite the work of the Spirit, we still struggle with the old Man, we wrestle against the temptation. And if you don't push back, if you don't keep watch, it is easy to fall back to sleep. sleep, we dream and our dreams are in service to self. We dream of having all that we want. and In the waking world, we have to serve others. So again, there's a temptation to go back to sleep. Paul says, don't do it. Don't do it. Walk in the light walk in the light, love the light. In fact, the way to love the light is to walk in it, is to actually do it. And your mother knew what she was doing when you were a child and you had to wake up. You had to wake up and you didn't want to. Ironically, you didn't want to go to sleep the day before, but once you were asleep, you definitely don't want to wake up. You have to be cajoled into doing it. And and, and the reality is if you stay in bed, If you stay in your pajamas and you just sort of stay awake with your eyes open in the warmth of your bed, it's easy to go back to sleep. So what you have to do in order to get people to wake up is you have to get them out of bed. Get them out of bed. you got to get them dressed. Get the pajamas off and put real hard clothing on them. They have to go out and face the world. Get them out the door. It's not just children who need to hear this. During the pandemic, a lot of us have had plenty of opportunity to stay in bed to live in our pajamas, to lose track of time, to sleep too much, which is a good metaphor for the life of sin. It's daylight outside, but we want to just pull down the shades and pretend. We want to lose ourselves. And that's the irony. Even though you live a life indulging yourself, as you indulge yourself, you're losing yourself at the same time, losing track of yourself. So, the question is, how to get up? How do we get up? How do we walk in the light? Paul says, cast off the works of darkness. I know this is going to sound strange, but but Paul is saying here something like, you've got to get out of your pajamas. In other words, the, the things that make the works of darkness easy, the thing that makes it come naturally, the thing that makes it comfortable, you've got to cast that off, which means, don't make excuses for your former way of life. Don't 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 think of your sin as as somehow not egregious, not terrible, like that it wouldn't grieve Jesus for me to continue in my sin the way that it would others. You have to cast off those excuses. Sin is harder to do if you're not dressed for it. One of these funny things about human nature, oftentimes it's easier to do what you're dressed for. I don't know if you've ever had this to happen. Maybe you don't struggle with having to go, you know, work out or something. But but I have tried very hard to ride my bicycle more, and more would be like once a month for me. And one of the things I've found that's really helpful is if you put the outfit on in order to motivate the action. So Lori can attest, sometimes I'm walking around the house dressed as if, I'm a bicyclist. But it, but half an hour, a whole hour could pass, which I'm walking around in this crazy getup, helmet included, before you know riding actually occurs. But the thing is, once you're dressed for it, then other stuff becomes more difficult. It's kind of hard to laze around and drink coffee in bike shorts with a helmet on. There's just bicycling, it's, it's more conducive to that activity. Same idea here. That you'll never... Defeat your sin as long as you're dressed for it. As long as your outfit is making it easy to slip back into those patterns, you'll always fall back to sleep as long as you're living in your pajamas. The idea is so you've got to dress differently. You've got to cast it off. Paul says you've got to put on Christ, put on the armor of light. And he uses that phrase, put on, repetitively like that, and it shows you the, the equivalence, that the armor of light is Christ. To put on the armor of light is to put on Christ. The, the armor that he talks about in Ephesians 6, all of it in its peculiar details taken together is putting on Christ. When you're wearing Christ, the kind of life you're dressed for is a life in the light, life in the daytime, doing what you've been called to do. If you dress for the battle, then you will fight. Paul says, you've got to cast off the works of darkness You've got to put on Christ, the armor of lights, Then you've got to walk properly as in the daytime. A point that I've made before, but it's worth making again, the life of sanctification isn't lived by not doing what you shouldn't do. That if what you're focused on is not doing the things you've been commanded not to do, that is not what leads to sanctification. Doing what you've been commanded to do is what leads to Sanctification, walking properly as in the daytime. So the question, it's not, do not sleep, thou shalt not sleep, it is thou shalt walk in the daytime. That's important. Positive action fills the void where sin once lived. But if there isn't that positive obedience, you'll never manage to keep the void empty. Sin will come back, sleep will come easy. Finally, Paul says, make no provision for the flesh. In other words, don't make it easy to do evil. Make it hard. Don't walk up to the precipice. Don't go into the environment where, where sleep is easy. You know, don't, don't live in your bedroom, so to speak. Don't live close to where you shouldn't be. said, make it hard. Make provision for the spirit. You've probably already heard the story of St. Augustine's conversion. It's a pretty famous conversion and and, and pretty uh, random in a way because after having lived a pretty full life for 30 years, he's he's kind of out in his garden and he hears some children over the wall kind of playing a game and yelling and one of the things that the children say is, tele lege. They're saying, take and read. And they're not Trying to get Augustine to read. It's not like the kids see. He's got a little Bible next to him, but it's not open. We should get that guy to read. Nothing to do with that. It's just kind of a random connection. But he hears the words and he opens up his his scroll or codex of Scripture and he starts to read, and that leads to his conversion to his coming to Christ. He takes up Scripture, he reads, the Spirit awakens him to Christ, the light shines, and forever after his life is changed. He can't go back the way things were. What you may have forgotten, though, is what he read when he opened up that that scroll or codex, what text it was that he read that led to that light shining. It's the text we've been talking about, specifically verses 13 and 14. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh, to gratify its desires. That's what he read when he took and read. And that's when the light shined. Now, you may read those words and think, that's actually not a great evangelism passage. If you're trying to introduce people to Jesus, maybe this isn't where you go. Uh, Romans 13, 13, and 14 is not on the Romans road. And maybe there's a reason for that, because if you're trying to introduce people to Jesus, and, and your pitch is basically, all the things you like to do in life, you must give them up. For Christ, that might seem like a difficult thing to ask. Give up all of life's pleasures and follow Jesus might not seem like a great gospel presentation. What the Spirit was telling Augustine, and what he is telling us as well, is that the desires of the flesh are not the pleasures of life. The desires of the flesh are not the pleasures of life. In fact, just the opposite. The desires of the flesh are what corrupt the pleasures of life. The desires of the flesh are what hide the pleasures of life. Sin poisons life's pleasures. The true pleasures are found in the light. The true pleasures are found only in Christ. The love that you long for can never be found in the darkness. The love that you long for can only be found in the light of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. You can find more sermons from Grace and information about joining us for worship by visiting our website at graceforsufalls.org We also invite you to visit the iTunes store and subscribe to the Sermons of Grace podcast.